Good morning, Spring Branch. How are we today? Good to see you all. Thanks for coming out on a rainy Sunday morning where you could have slept in and just watch a movie for the rest of the day. Hopefully you can still do that this afternoon. Just kind of lay low and enjoy your Sunday. But while we're here, we're going to have a good time. And we are continuing the series called Parables. Jesus is the master storyteller. Anybody love a good story? Maybe it's a movie or a book or a friend's telling you a story across the table and you just get captivated in the story, right? You lose track of time because a story is powerful and you can relate uh, to the experiences in the story and to the people in the story. And so Jesus looked for any and every opportunity to tell a story. Last week we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan and how uh, we can't expect to be a Good Samaritan until we fall in love and accept the mercy of the great Samaritan, Jesus. We're the ones on the side of the road, right? And Jesus rescues us through the cross and he gives us another chance and he forgives us and that's the good news that we all celebrate every Sunday. And so, great story last week about being a good Samaritan and loving the great Samaritan. Today we'll be talking about the vineyard workers, the vineyard workers. So we'll be talking about Luke 20. So if you wanna turn there, we'll have some verses up on the screen. It's gonna be a great time together this morning. I wear a lot of hats, I'm a pastor, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, but I'm also an assistant soccer coach. That's right, I'm an assistant soccer coach, very, very prestigious position. A couple weeks ago, I was on the sidelines, beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. My seven-year-old daughter, Isley, is playing soccer. She's doing great, running back and forth, breaking a sweat. Her hair somehow remained perfect due to the uh, uh, huge amount of hairspray that she uh, sprays on her hair every single Sunday, every single day. It's pretty incredible. Uh, hurricane could come through and her hair would just be perfect. It'd be flawless. Anyway, so we're having a soccer game and I'm, I'm pretending like I'm not caring, right? Because it's just seven-year-old soccer. Just seven-year-old soccer, no big deal. Got into the second half and it's a pretty tight game. All of a sudden, I just feel this sense of just sheer competitiveness. Like, we've got to win this game, whatever it takes. The ball goes out of bounds, and this, this eruption, this eruption occurs. And I say, it's a corner kick, it's a corner kick, it's a corner kick. And the referee out there, who, he's the one who has the whistle, he has the uniform, and, and he says, no, 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 sir, I've got it as a goal kick. It's the other team's ball, a goal kick. I'm like, no, 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 it, it's, it's a corner kick, it's a corner kick. And he like raised his voice a little bit, took a couple steps towards me. He's like, it's a goal kick, sir. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. I'm not going to win this argument. He's in charge. I'm not. I'm just some random dad on the sidelines. Uh, Let's not get too crazy here. Um, He was in charge, and he he took a stand in that moment. He was standing firm in his authority. And uh, it's kind of a silly, funny story, but I think we all ask this question whether we realize it or not. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Who owns it? Who has the authority? Who has the right? Who's the boss, right? We've been blessed in so many ways, haven't we? This beautiful facility to worship in, our family, our friends, houses, cars, clothes, jobs. God has blessed us so much. But who owns it? Who owns what we have in our hands? That's the question. How we answer that question changes everything. Last week we talked about how a parable is a simple story that illustrates a spiritual lesson. 
A parable is a, a simple story that illustrates a, a spiritual lesson. And uh, last week we had some guys, some experts in the law that asked Jesus, how can we inherit eternal life? How do we get to heaven? And he answered that question with a story. And he talked about the importance of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's upward love and outward love, right? It's one and the same. You can't have one without the other. And that's what he was talking about, loving God, loving others. That was the greatest command. In the Old Testament, there's 600, 700 laws, and he, Jesus said, you know what? If you forget all those laws, just remember this one. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And that's what we talked about last week. And Jesus is, is continuing to deliver that message. He's continuing to teach the good news of the gospel, and that is that we are forgiven no matter what. Religion says do, 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 but Jesus says done. He says it is finished on the cross. The debt has been paid. Our slate is wiped clean, fresh start, new beginning because of the blood on the cross. That is Jesus. Love saves. Law does not save. And he's continuing to share this message of the good news to anybody who would listen. And we find ourselves in the story of Luke 20, verse 1, we find ourselves again with the religious people, the experts in the law, and they have another question for Jesus. Let's read about it. Luke 20, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him, and they demanded, by what authority? By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? <laughs> Who gave you the whistle? Who gave you the uniform? Who gave you the right to, to call the plays? Where are your credentials? Where's your credibility? Where's your resume? See, these guys were used to being kind of the, the, uh, the, the, the spotlight. They were the ones accustomed to having people travel from miles and miles away to hear them teach, and they were the experts in the law, but now there's a turf war. They're feeling a little competition. This Jesus comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden he has the ears of everyone around him. He's captivating the audience. Everybody's listening to him, and he's preaching the good news about how much God loves them and wants to forgive them. And it's exciting I went to the Mercy Me concert last night. There's a song called Best News Ever. It's not just the good news. It's the best news ever. Best news ever. And here are these guys coming up to Jesus after he tells them how much God loves them, how important it is that they love their neighbor. And they come up to him. They're like, who are you, man? Who gives you the right? Where's your authority come from? Where are your credentials? Where's your badge? To turf war. This is how Jesus responds. He responds with a story. He responds to the question, who's the owner here? Who's the boss here? He responds with a question. Jesus turned to the people, again, it's a few verses later, and told them this story, this parable. A man who is symbolized, uh, he, this is the symbol of God. I'm just going to help you out here. We'll just cut to the chase. This owner, this man who planted the vineyard represents God, okay? Represents God. The vineyard represents 
Israel, God's people, the Jewish people, uh, if you bring it down to our level, the vineyard is Spring Branch. The vineyard is your life, your family, your workplace, what God has given you. A man, God, planted a vineyard, Israel, and leased it to tenant farmers, the religious leaders. So the tenant farmers, the people who God put in charge of the vineyard, they, uh, they represent the experts in the law, the religious people that he's talking to, okay? Are you tracking? So we see that the man is God, uh, is owner, planted the vineyard, which is Israel, it's also our lives, earth, our world, leased it to tenant farmers, and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. Okay, so in Leviticus 19, um, brought some grapes with me. Sorry, Lindsay, I took these grapes from our fridge. I may have to go buy some more grapes. Um, but in Leviticus 19, God provides a law for his people, and he says, if you plant a vineyard, if you plant a vineyard, after four years, the, the grapes will be ripe enough. But wait, wait, wait a second. You can't consume the grapes at that point. Give your first fruits to God as an offering, as an act of worship. So you're working hard, you're working hard, blood, sweat, and tears, 24-7, you're working in this vineyard. But in that fourth year, when the grapes are ripe, whoa, wait a second. Give your first fruit to God, to demonstrate to God that he is the owner of your vineyard. He is number one in your life. What you have is not yours, it is a gift from God. And then in the fifth year, the fifth year, you can actually start enjoying some grapes, some nice, crisp, yummy, delicious grapes. So when the owner goes away for several years, we know that he goes away probably for about five years. Because by that time, the grapes his share of the crop is ready, and he will receive what is due to him as the owner. So a time is set. Scripture says a time was set, and at the proper time, the owner sent a servant to come back to the vineyard and receive the share of the crop. And we know that it was about five years, but this time was decided upon. It was a set time. It wasn't uh, this haphazard time. It was intentional. It was purposeful. It was on the calendar. It was decided upon. Uh, the owner was expected at five years to come back and receive the crop. We've all been given a vineyard. We've all been given the opportunity and the freedom to work in our vineyard. And we have been given the responsibility to bear some fruit. God has entrusted us with our friends and our families and our kids and our spouses and our coworkers and our houses and our possessions. He has entrusted us with grapes. And his expectation is for us to honor him as the owner, honor him as God. And that's the first expectation that God gives us as the tenant farmers, as the vineyard workers. His expectation is for us to honor him as God, as the owner. He wants to be number one in our lives. Not because he's selfish, 
but because he knows that when we seek him first, everything else will fall into place. When we trust him, when we obey him, the consequences will just take care of themselves. When we put him as the big rock in our lives and seek him first, everything else will fall into place. Honor God as God. No other gods. No other gods before the true God. My wife's amazing, but she makes a pretty poor God. She makes a pretty lousy God. I mean, she's pretty amazing. But if I'm expecting her to be God, I'm going to be disappointed because she's imperfect. She's sinful. Um, so she's held in her proper place. My, my, the things that God has given me, whether it's my wife or my kids, my place to live, this really cool jacket that I'm wearing, whatever he's given me, it's not mine. It's not mine. I can't allow what I possess to possess me. I have to hold it with open hands and treat it as a gift that God has given me. Do you treat your life and your possessions as gifts, as gifts from God? If you do, that changes everything. It changes how you spend your money. It changes how you spend your time. It changes how you spend your talents, your treasure. He's given us a vineyard, and he's entrusted us with so much. So what happens over these five years? Imagine these vineyard workers day in and day out. I mean, they're getting dirty. They're sweating. They're working hard 24-7. Rain, sleet, snow. They are working on this vineyard. But as the years go by, and we'll find out that this is, was probably true, that they started to grow in resentment. They started to grow in bitterness, and they developed a sense of entitlement. I mean, we're the ones working so hard in this vineyard. Man, we should get more of the share of the crop. And they started acting as owners of the vineyard. And after a while, they had this distorted understanding of their owner. I think we can have a distorted understanding of God sometimes. I don't see God. I don't hear God. I don't hear his voice. I can't touch God. And, you know, it, it, sometimes it seems like God doesn't care. He's, he's not loving. Or I've, I've asked for him to answer a prayer, and he hasn't answered the way that I would like. And, and so we see God as unfair, maybe sometimes, or uninvolved or uninterested, not holding up his side of the bargain. We see these tragedies, these things happening in life and the world. We're like, man, God, are you, you care? You seem unfair and all this, this injustice. If you were in control and all loving and all powerful, why can't you stop this stuff? I've asked those questions. We've all asked those questions, if we're being honest. But these guys developed a distorted understanding of God. And I believe that they saw him as unfair because they were working so hard in the vineyard. They saw him as disinterested, distant. They started taking things into their own hands. They may have started off as grateful, like many of us start off very grateful and childlike in our faith. We receive Christ into our hearts and we, we charge up the hill. We want to do anything for God. But then as we get older, we experience more difficulties in life and our gratefulness turns into resentfulness if we're not careful. God begins to ask things of us. And they're hard and they're difficult and it's inconvenient and uncomfortable and 
And we're like, God, are you kidding me? Like, you, that, it's just not going to fit into to my lifestyle. And you asked me to give that much financially, or you asked me to give my time, or um, you asked me to forgive my enemies. I don't know, God. That's, you asked me to be, be a good Samaritan. I don't know, God, you, you seem like you're out of touch with reality here. I think that's what crept into the hearts and minds of these tenant farmers. They had a distorted understanding of God. They were not honoring their owner. In the same way, we uh, sometimes forget to honor God as God and make him uh, supreme and number one in our lives. And we take things in our own hands rather than holding them loosely. So the first expectation is honor God as God, as tenant farmers in this vineyard. So let's, let's, read, let's read the story. But the farmers attacked the servant. So the owner sends the servant to the vineyard to collect his share of the crop after five years. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, sent him back empty-handed. Can you imagine that? So the owner sent another servant. But they also insulted him and beat him up and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. The servants in this story represent the prophets. We can all name a prophet or two, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and all those guys throughout the Old Testament. And this parable really is is a picture of the Old Testament. It's a picture of a God who wanted nothing more than to, to have our hearts. He wanted nothing more than for us to, to, uh, to, to, to step into a relationship with him, to turn to him in repentance. But yet time and time again over the hundreds of years in the Old Testament, people turned their back on him and they, they gave him the old stiff arm and said, God, we don't need you. They developed a distorted understanding of God. But God kept sending prophets, kept sending these servants to tell the people how much he loved them and that he was with them. And the whole Old Testament, if you can summarize it with one word, it's remember, remember, remember. That was the message through these prophets. Yet time and time again, these prophets were left battered and bruised and beaten and persecuted and left out in the cold. But yet... Through God's grace and love, he did not give up on his people. He doesn't give up on us. God sends messengers to us. He does. He sends messengers to us. Are we listening? Are we listening to his voice and his guidance? Or have we developed an immunity to his will and his voice? And that's what's happening here. These servants are sent time and time again. I don't know about you. If you put yourself in the shoes of the owner, at some point you're like, oh my gosh, this is a broken record. Am I really going to send another servant who's bound to get beaten and left for dead? But the owner here represents God, our God of grace and mercy. And he gave these guys a chance, one chance two chances, three chances. Yet, time and time again, because of their stubborn, hard hearts, they rejected the servants because they were saying and proclaiming that they were the owners of the vineyard. But God, he's long-suffering, isn't he? He's willing to suffer long so that we can have chance after chance to receive him. But he's like a shepherd that goes and looks for the one. We are that one, friends. He leaves the 99, he leaves the flock 
to look for us. And how many of you can think of a time in your life it was rock bottom, it was dark, it was lonely, but God, the great shepherd, pursued you passionately, patiently, and persistently, and he, he found you, and he lifted you up on his shoulders and brought you back to the flock, even when you didn't deserve it, even when you didn't earn it. And that's the picture that we get here of this owner by his grace sending his servants over and over again, knowing full well that they could be rejected. You know, Lindsay and I moved here last summer, and thanks to a family here at Spring Branch, we've been able to live in this condo, and it's really close to the bay, the beach. It's a great spot. We've enjoyed uh, just the location uh, in prox close proximity to Lindsay's work and church. It was just down the road. It's been awesome. Our kids have loved it. Every now and then, we will remind ourselves that we are not the owners. <laughs> we are not the owners. Whenever I see markers or crayons close to that white wall, I remind the kids, like, we're not owners, we're just renters. My son likes to kick the ball against the wall. Hey, buddy, remember, we're not owners, we're renters. But imagine uh, our owners coming to us on any given month, and, and they're expecting rent, and, and we, we just tell them, you know what? We've lived here long enough where we feel like we deserve to be the owners, so we're not going to give you our rent this month or even ever again. And we just leave them empty-handed. How ridiculous would that be? But God, God has entrusted us with a beautiful place to live. He has given you clothes. He has given you food. He's given you shelter. He's given you friends, your health. He's given you employment. He's given you uh, so much. And he wants us to enjoy it and be good stewards of it. He wants us to honor him as God. He doesn't want us to abuse our freedom. He wants us to, to treat it as a blessing and as a gift, which it is. God is the owner. Honor God as God. The second expectation is obey his laws. We honor God as God, as the owner and we obey his laws. As I said, the most important law, if you boil it down to one, it's love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, every five years of your being, and love others. You forget everything else in the Bible. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's the most important law, most important command. Did we get it right every time? No. It's a good thing God was perfect. We don't have to be perfect. He wants our heart. He doesn't want our performance. He wants our hearts. He wants, he wants intent, he wants to see our intent and our motivation as to glorify him and honor him. We won't get it right every time, but yet we serve a God who gives us time after time after time, chance after chance after chance, and he forgives us and accepts us no matter what. You know, I'm guilty of, of hearing God expect something of me, and you know, he gives others generously. He, uh, don't be greedy. Uh, don't lust after others. Um, forgive your enemies. You know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of, of hearing those commands and, and, and inserting a but. <laughs> I hear you, God, but that's just too uncomfortable. That's too inconvenient. Uh, it, it doesn't fit into my lifestyle. I think we should replace the but with therefore. Yes, God expects so much of us. There's a standard set so high because of Jesus 
Therefore, I know, I know God, you expect this. Therefore, I will obey you. Therefore, I will do whatever it takes to honor you and to love others and love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Replace the but with therefore. God expects us to take the narrow road, the road less traveled. Because, why? Not because he's legalistic, not because he's a micromanager looking over our shoulder. This owner, I love it, he went away to a foreign country. Why? Because he trusted his tenant farmers. He trusted them. He gave them responsible freedom. Jesus ascended into heaven as the owner of the vineyard. He left us with the vineyard. He left us in charge, so to speak. He left us with the vineyard because he wanted to, he wanted to have us enjoy the crop. He wanted to bless us. God's love language is our obedience. You've heard of the love languages, uh, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation. God's love language is, is our obedience. When we choose to obey his law and obey him, we won't get it right every time. He wants to bless us. Blessing is waiting on the other side of our obedience. When our kids are kind to each other, when they clean their room, when they clear their plates, blessing awaits them in the freezer in the form of cotton candy ice cream. If you obey this law, you've got something sweet on the other side. And that's what our Father, Heavenly Father, is trying to tell us. Obey me. And the consequences, the results, the fruit will follow. and You'll be blessed. He wants to bless us. You know, I love messages that talk about God's grace and forgiveness. And you probably heard it. That it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. It doesn't change God's love for you. And that's the best thing about the good news. But it doesn't mean we can go send our brains out, right? Oh, God's going to forgive me. You know, he loves me no matter what. But I think that happened to these guys in this story is that they, they mistook grace for, as indifference. You know, they, they mistook the grace of the owner as indifference. The owner kept sending these servants over and over again. And the, 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 the guys are probably like, man, he doesn't really care about his fruit anymore. He must not really care about it. He must not really care about us anymore. And so we're just going to do whatever we want. We, 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 we've been able to get away with this, this pattern of sin, with this pattern of behavior, and he hasn't laid down the law yet, so we're just going to continue in our pattern. I think that's what happened here. I think if we're not careful, we can be guilty of that as well. God's not smiting us, you know, or sending his lightning bolt down on us when we're greedy or lustful. But it doesn't mean that he isn't with us. He's with us and he's for us. He doesn't condemn us. He's there with us and he loves us no matter what. But his grace, I think because his grace is so amazing, how much more do we want to obey him because we get a clean slate, because he doesn't hold anything against us, amen? Because his grace is so amazing, how much more do we just want to go obey his law and do what's right? I met with a guy this past week, and he looked at me across the table. He's probably 65, 70 years old. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he had, he had tears rolling down his cheeks. And he said, Heath, I wish I could turn back the clock. I wish I could turn back time. I made some bad decisions, and 
got addicted to some things and lost my job and walked away from people who were trying to counsel me and trying to love me. And he said, if I could turn back the clock, I would. I just said, brother, God is with you and God is for you. God still owns your life and he wants to, to give you another chance to get it right. And he said, I just want to be born again. If I could just start over this, if I could just be born all over again, start this whole thing over again, I said, guess what? You can be born again. And so we walk through what it means to have a, a, a relationship with Jesus and to be born again and have a fresh start, clean slate, a new beginning. And that's what God offers all of us. When we obey his law, when we honor him as God, he will bless us. Maybe not with materialistic blessings, but with joy and love and peace. Isaiah 65, verse 1, God said, I said, here am I, here am I to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Jesus spread out his arms on the cross, and he's still got his arms spread out wide for us. No matter how many times we reject him, how many times we think we can do it our way, his arms are still wide open towards us. Let's continue the story. Verse 13, what will I do, the owner asked himself. Three servants come back to him, bruised, battered, and beaten, wounded, empty-handed. And the owner asked himself, I know. I'll send my cherished son. We all know what the cherished son symbolizes in this story. Surely they will respect him. Surely they'll respect my beloved, only cherished son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus. Whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For hundreds of years, God sent prophets. He sent burning bushes. He sent whispers. He sent fires. He sent all kinds of messages to the people to get their attention. I love you. I love you. I love you. Repent. Repent. Turn to me. Confess your sin. Turn to me. Yet time and time again, his people ignored him. They rejected him because of their pride and stubbornness and hard hearts. And it culminated to this point, ultimately, where God says, all right, it's gotten to this point. They're not getting it. It's not sinking in. I've sent messengers. I've done whatever I could do. It's come now to this point. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my only begotten son, my only beloved son, my cherished son. I'm going to send him. I'm going to do it. And his son was the exact representation of himself. God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's how much he loved us. Talk about the ultimate hero story, right? God sends his son, his cherished son, into our vineyard, and we are the tenant farmers who have rejected his messengers. We rejected the voice and will of God. Maybe you have a spouse, maybe you have friends, maybe you have somebody who's been trying to, to love you, trying to show you the good news, trying to tell you how much God loves you. 
And that maybe there's an area in your life that's broken and you're not seeing it because it's a blind spot. Yet time and time again, God sends messengers to you and ultimately he sends his son Jesus to you, ultimately dying on the cross. And this owner, this owner, this owner, he was, he, he sent, he sent his cherished son he, he didn't know whether his son was going to be beaten or left for dead. He's like, surely they respect him. But you know what? God knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that when he sent his son Jesus, that he was going to be crucified and beaten and tortured. He knew that his son was going to suffocate on the cross and be spat on and mocked and left for dead. He knew it. He saw the whole plan. He saw the whole picture. He knew exactly what was going to happen, yet he still sent Jesus to us, the cherished, beloved, only begotten son. So what happened? When the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to each other, ooh, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. The ultimate picture of pride, the ultimate picture of just being an owner, owning something that's not your own. For ourselves, ah, for ourselves, finally, for ourselves. It's the heir. If we kill him, we'll have the whole thing for ourselves. I mean, they were just so overwhelmed by their own wickedness and just sinful hearts. They were living in the flesh. And just when we think this is an extreme story that doesn't relate to us, I think if we all look in the mirror closely enough, we can see ourselves in this story. When we hold on to our possessions so tight, oh, it's for ourselves. I'm not going to give another 1% or 2% of my, of my money. I, I, I'm not going to give my time to volunteer. I'm not going to give what's valuable to me to somebody else because that'll interrupt my lifestyle. We, we choose to become owners because we hoard it for ourselves when, when God wants us to, to share the grapes. He wants us to share the grapes that he's given us. It's a gift. Let's kill him. They dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. Remember, Jesus was dragged out of Jerusalem. He was crucified in Golgotha outside the city. This is such a clear picture of the gospel, what happened to Jesus. He was tortured, beaten, left for dead on a cross outside the city. They murdered the cherished, beloved son. The third expectation that God gives us, we've already talked about a little bit, is to share his blessings, share his grapes, share his fruit with the whole world. We've been blessed in so many ways. We've been so blessed in this country. You've been so blessed. How are you using your blessing to bless others? Blessed people, bless people. At the end of the day, the judgment day, we will get into heaven because of the fact that we've loved God and we've received him into our hearts. But there will be a question on that judgment day. God will ask us, he will ask us, what did you do with my grapes? (laughs) What did you do with the vineyard that I gave you? Did you share it with others or did you hoard it for yourself? Did you share your possessions with others or did you did you respond as the owner? Did you hold on to it so tightly? 
Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your resources. Maybe it's your talents. What are you doing to share your grapes and God's blessings with others? The story goes on, verse 15. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them? What do you you suppose is the ending to the story? We all want it to be this happy ending, don't we? We all want it to be a happy ending. What happens in this story? Jesus says, I'll tell you. (laughs) He answers the question for them. I'll tell you. The owner will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. And you're like, wait a second, is that... Is that really the, how the story goes in the Bible? Jesus is supposed to be this warm and fuzzy, kumbaya, love you all the time, no matter what kind of a God, which he is. But he's also a God of truth. He's also a God of judgment. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve death and condemnation forever and eternity. We deserve it. But the wage of sin is death. But the gift, but, 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 but. Here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This story is full of grace. Servant after servant after servant. So many chances. God gives us so many chances every week, every month, every year, every decade of our lives to choose him and accept him. And by the way, no answer is a no answer. If we just never make, it, never make a decision to follow Christ, That's a no answer. It's either all or nothing. God wants us to be all in, to love him with all we've got. This is what happens in the story, and the response of the listeners is is classic. They say, how terrible, how terrible that such a thing should happen. How terrible. They still don't get it. (laughs) They're the ones, right? They're the ones in the story who are hard-hearted, who have who have been immune to the will and voice of God. Jesus looked at them and said, then what does the scripture mean? He's like, you still don't get it? What does the scripture mean? And he says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Another word picture here. What's he saying? Uh, I'm not a builder, but I've heard that the cornerstone is pretty important when you're building a structure. It's actually the first stone that you put in place, and it's, uh, it's chosen after much care and ceremony. It has to be just perfect because it sets the course for the entire building. It makes it level. It makes it strong. Everything rests on the cornerstone. In the same way, everything rests and is supported by Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. And he says, you guys, you guys, have rejected the cornerstone. You've rejected me as your savior. The chosen, precious cornerstone. And he goes on to say, everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. What's he talking about here? He's talking about, in in this ancient uh, Jewish culture, there was a tradition uh, where... uh, um, if, if you were convicted of a crime, there was a 12-foot scaffolding. It's like about, about as high as the balcony right there, maybe, maybe a little bit lower. But uh, if you were convicted of a crime, they would push you off of the scaffolding and you'd fall on this stone. And they would hope that you would die. Sometimes you wouldn't die. And so they would cast this huge stone. They'd throw it on your chest so you would die. I know, very morbid. Like, what, what, what a great way to end the message here, right? <laughs> but that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, either... Either either I can be your chief cornerstone, 
Either I can be a stone that saves you, and I want nothing more than to save you, and deliver you, and rescue you from your sins. But if you reject me, that stone will crush you. That stone will crush you. And you'll experience judgment and wrath and eternity separated from a loving God. That's the reality we all live in, friends. For the wages of sin is death, is eternity, is separated from God. But, but the gift of God's eternal life in heaven in the arms of Jesus forever. And Jesus is saying, you guys got to get this. It's urgent. This is important. Choose me as your cornerstone. Don't reject me. Accept me as your Lord and Savior. Verse 19, the teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus. Of course, of course they did in that moment. All of a sudden it clicked. All of a sudden it clicked and they felt convicted because they realized he was telling the story against them. Finally their, their hearts softened. He was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the people's reaction. This is the story this morning. I know, I know there's a lot there, right? And you're not, you, don't, you don't typically end a message about like stones crushing you. <laughs> um, but that's how important it is for us to share the blessing that God has given us. And that's the challenge today. It's a bottom line today. Share a blessing with somebody this week. Make a list of 10 things this week that you're thankful for. How easy is it for us to be glass half empty? But God has blessed us so much. How has God blessed you, and how can you share that blessing with others this week? Because it's not your vineyard. It's God's vineyard. All that you have is his. Release your tight grasp of your grapes and give them to others this week. Maybe it's your time, maybe it's your resources, maybe it's money, maybe it's an encouraging word. Share a blessing this week with someone else. And allow God to bless your spirit and fill you with joy and peace and his love. Maybe the blessing this week is telling somebody the good news, telling somebody that Jesus loves them. Maybe that's it. I know there's some, there, there's some people in this room who have never received Jesus as their chief cornerstone. Maybe you've been ignoring messages from people. Maybe you've grown immune to the voice and will of God. Maybe you've fallen into deception. Maybe you've confused God's grace as indifference. Maybe you've distorted your understanding of God. But it's never too late. It's never too late. I'm, I'm pleading with you to, to just not put it off a day longer. Receive Jesus as your personal Savior, as the chief cornerstone as the owner of your vineyard because he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. And it's an urgent message because at the end of the day, the stone will either save us or crush us. And maybe you're in this room and you've been a believer for a long time, but you've fallen into lukewarmness or apathy and had one foot in, one foot out. I'm telling you, be all in. Be all in. Maybe you felt beaten and bruised in your faith uh, but God, God wants you to know that he's with you. And he wants to give you the strength to press on. Let's pray. God, I just want to uh, pray with those in this room, uh, maybe who haven't ever received you or accepted you as their Lord and Savior, as their owner. Maybe you're in this room right now and you're, you're thinking, 
this message is for me. It is. Just as the the guys in the story realized the message was for them, uh, this gospel of the good news that Jesus loves you and wants a relationship with you, this is for you. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do it right now. Just say, God, I accept you. I'm done rejecting you. I'm sorry for my stubborn heart. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe in you that you died on the cross for me and I commit my life to you. I wanna share my blessing with others. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to uh, just share that with somebody before you leave. Lots of people up front, you can be prayed for. If you need some healing, you can be prayed for. Just tell somebody today you prayed that prayer this morning. God, take these financial gifts, this time of of receiving offering. God, take these gifts, use them for others' good and for your glory. May we not give our blessings out of compulsion or obligation. May we share these blessings, these financial gifts, because you are God. We want to obey you. Amen.